things we're dealing with are threats to humanity unlike anything the world has ever seen before. We can bequeath our children a greener planet and a more prosperous future. That's what climate change is about. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero Carbon East Tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 5, Just Stop the Tories. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. And man alive, Dale, what a week it's been. I never really clocked the American version, this thing called House of Cards. It's a big Netflix show that is, it was Kevin Spacey before he, you know, fell off into the pit of disgrace. Uh, <laughs> but all about the kind of mash. They did a British version years ago, and this was the American version about crazy shit that happens behind the scenes in the world of politics. And I was looking at this week, the Rishi reshuffle. That's a nice bit of kind of sort of alliteration. The Rishi knuckle shuffle, did you say? The Rishi. <laughs> you, could, you couldn't put this in a, a TV show yeah. because people would have gone, nah, that would never happen, mate. Like Trump getting elected, right? Well, yeah, right. That's what I thought back in the day. Like you couldn't write a novel based on that because it'd be too stupid. People would say, come on, we like fiction, but. Yeah. David Cameron is back. I mean, there's the headline. Your mate Dave is back, Dale. You've got previous with Dave. Well, you know, I did meet him once in his husky hugging days. You know, he came to our windmill and talked some old guff to me and uh, posed for a picture and, you know, kind of stuff. But I mean, this is the man, right, that banned onshore wind. He tried to shut down the solar industry. He did a good job, actually. He did shut it down, but it came back. You know, he got to the end of his uh, tenure, didn't he, as prime minister? Obviously, Brexit was his downfall. But in, in those final days, I remember him coming out. He was quoted as saying, let's cut the green crap. You know, he went into the election uh, saying he was going to be the greenest prime minister ever, blah, blah, blah. And came out of it saying, let's cut the green crap. And now he's our unelected foreign secretary. And, and I predict that at the end of his tenure there, he'll be saying, let's cut the brown crap. <laughs> I wish he'd cut the brown crap. It's, it's a curious yeah. thing, isn't it? Because, you know, you go back to years ago. It's not They're not quite Blair and Brown, Cameron and Osborne. But when they were mm. kind of, you know. Or Pinky and Perky. Pinky, when Pinky and Perky were sitting there, like kind of notching up their, concocting their plans for power uh, and working out, you know, how they can kind of replicate the Blair and Brown thing a little bit, but for the Tories, etc. I would bet 10 grand that, they never once discussed offshore windmills. Never once. It would never have come up as a subject. They wouldn't know, have known anything about it. They had no real passion on it. And yet, you know, somehow, somewhere along the line, whether somebody whispers in Dave's ear and says, yeah, you've got to ban this stuff, or whether he read it somewhere. What, I mean, philosophically, he's not attached to that as a way that the best way to operate the United Kingdom is to ban the offshore wind. You don't conjure that opinion out of nowhere. No, you mean onshore. Onshore. Right? And we know where it came from. A bunch of his MPs, I mean, this is what happens to all prime ministers, uh, you know, of the Tory party. They they just get pushed about by their MPs. I mean, it's happening to Sunak right now. Uh, but in Cameron's case, 100 MPs wrote to him and said, you know, we don't like windmills in the countryside, basically. Off the back of that, he banned it. He shut down the solar industry by removing financial support. And, and, and ridiculously, at the time, he said he was doing it for the solar industry's own yeah, good, right. which is one of those crazy things that politicians say. And you just look and you say, WTF is he talking Correct. about? I mean, nobody, nobody buys that, right? 
but it was it was just about that and of course it was a long time before the energy crisis when he probably thought he could afford to do that and as you say new bug were all about green energy or energy or probably anything actually i mean what's his one job was an itv sales executive or something this is one job outside of yeah. number 10 and writing a book in a shepherd's hut with a pig is that a job? Is that a job? I'm not sure. But he's back. He's the, he's the foreign secretary, and they had to make him a baron. A baron. <laughs> is he a baron? Is a, he? Uh, <laughs> I didn't. Apparently, it's interchangeable. I didn't know this. If, if they make you a lord, you can be lord, or you can be a baron. Well, who um, knew? Well, who knew? But yeah, I only found this out a couple of days ago. I, I, I might well go for the baron. I think there's something about <laughs> yeah. that. When your time comes, right? When my time comes, I'm yeah. If you're going to have a title, have the f-ing big one. You know, baron. go for the full. Baron. I love it. Hey, what year is it? It's the 21st century. But please mean Baron Cameron of Jiggery Pokery. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's beautiful. But of course, it wasn't, he wasn't the only headline because we had uh, Suella Brahman was fired. Um, She she lost the job because she was a bit. Uh, a bit OTT, apparently, with her policies. She got fired for hate speech. I find that most funny. Yeah, I mean, it was mostly about the homeless thing. Yeah, but, but about, she wrote about the cops, uh, you know, uh, how they should ban the Palestinian marches and how they were hate marches and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, she was a home secretary that kind of, she really walked the walk in, in that respect because she was slamming hate speech while doing it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and it was her downfall, apparently, with Sunak. Although, you, you know, if you read the press, it seems like this is what she wanted so that she can be outside the tent and line herself up to succeed Sunak when he fails at this election that we desperately need and and when's it coming. Because right now, Sunak announced today that he's going to take us out of the uh, human rights agreement, you know, the global one that everybody's in except except Russia and some other reprobate country that left. So we're going to join them, according to Sunak. Belarus, I think, is the other one. And he doesn't have a mandate, right? The Tories are operating under Boris Johnson's battered four-year-old mandate for everything except the things they're doing now. And he desperately ought to go to the country to get himself a mandate, but he he won't. And that's all kinds of wrong. Well, by the way, I just realized we're in right-wing nut territory right here, aren't we? And we probably haven't played it, the... Um... I, I, thought I, heard, I thought I heard it in the distance. Then it was a siren. Um... <laughs> oh, that's my end. <laughs> Your <laughs> end. Yeah, that's always my end. There it is. Bang on cue, the right wing nut thing. But here's an interesting angle to this. I'm looking at the letter now. I've got a copy of the letter uh, oh. that Suella wrote to Cameron. Mm. I mean, you really need colleagues and allies like this. She says on paragraph <laughs> It's four, in green ink, right? Yeah, well, she says, as you know, I accepted your offer to serve as Home Secretary back in October 2022 on certain conditions. Despite you having been rejected by the majority of the party during the summer leadership <laughs> contest and <laughs> therefore have no personal mandate to be the Prime Minister, <laughs> uh, yes. I agree. That's yeah. her starting point. I'm loving it. And then she goes on and, and says, essentially, she slags off the Rwanda policy, saying, well, if the, if the Supreme they now rule it unlawful just today as we record this, but she says, you know, if they rule it unlawful, blah, blah, blah will happen. And if they say it's not unlawful, blah, blah, blah will happen. And I'm thinking, you wrote the f***ing policy. Yes. This is madness. She literally wrote it. And I'm thinking, I belong in the right wing nut section today because I agree with Sunak for sacking Braverman, and I agree with Braverman for saying Sunak has no mandate. My God, what's happening? There you go. You see, this is the kind of Hall of Mirrors world they've drawn us into. Here's the thing about this Rwanda policy that I never understood, right, from Braverman and from Sunak. On the one hand, they argued that if they threaten to send people across the channel to Rwanda, it'll stop them coming. That's how we stop the boats. And when challenged about the, the morality of that, they said, oh, don't worry. Rwanda's a lovely place, got a great economy that, you know, they'll, they'll get jobs there and have a good time. 
And and I go to myself, well, how do you square that, right? How do you say to people that are going to cross the channel, don't come here, or we'll send you on holiday, mate, or to a you know to a great country? Which you know, how, <laughs> well, that's that, a very good that, point. That makes sense. They were in danger of describing it like <laughs> the Costa del Sol. They were, and you said, well, hang on, that's that's not surely the spirit of this. And as it turned out, Rwanda is a place where if you look at somebody in authority the wrong way, they will chop your Charlies off. It's, <laughs> it's as simple as that, basically. There's a reason the and, Supreme Court. Court ruled it illegal today, right? It's a catalogue of those kind of problems because the court didn't say that it's illegal to send people elsewhere. They said it's just illegal to send people to, to Rwanda. Yeah. So, <laughs> the reason for that. of all the places that they could have picked, and bearing in mind that the Supreme Court is full of the biggest legal brains in the country, possibly in the world, and you might think that the government would have previously employed similar legal brains yeah. to advise them on this who must have said don't go for rwanda because you know my mate bob's the high court judge over there he's definitely going to rule against or, or don't go to the supreme court because i think they knew they were going to lose D yeah they knew. i mean maybe they did know they were going to lose but i mean they could have picked another country and it, the, the problem might have gone away for them but they would have had to find a country that was willing right yeah, you've got to have it. Yeah, you can't just say, <laughs> well, let's pick France, <laughs> yeah. which is where the bloody problem started. But here's the thing. The Tory party chairman came out today and said, well, let's just ignore the law. That's what he said. Let's ignore oh, the law. He's just a <laughs> I mean, what, what, what is going on in that party, right? They, they, they lose a case that everybody knew they were going to lose. Sunak says, well, I'm going to change the law. And the, the chairman of his party says, oh, don't worry about it. Let's just ignore it and send them anyway. <laughs> ignore the law. That's how we roll these days. What, for everything or just for this particular policy? Because a, a little bit of gentle shoplifting might come in handy. If I can ignore the law, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, here's another little slightly quirky nugget in this uh, story as well. I know people shouldn't be pigeonholed or judged because of who they marry, but I did find it rather interesting that the new Tory environment chief is Steve Barclay. He was the health secretary. He's now in charge of the environment. He's married to an executive of a sewage dumping firm. Yes, uh, a.k.a. a water company. Yeah, that's right. His wife, Karen. Oh, she's a Karen it's as well. well she's responsible for pumping sewage into water. It's mad. Well, the company are. It's, well, uh, it's, it's how the Tories do business, isn't it? You know, you've got a sewage problem. You've got a water company problem. So appoint the husband of somebody that runs a water company because he'll clean it up, right? I mean, when Mr. Barclay went in for the interview. Oh, hello, Mr. Barclay. What are you here for? Oh, I'm here for the job of the Environment Secretary. Oh, fantastic. Do sit down. Um, <laughs> anything we should know? Uh, no, no, no. It's all good. Everything's uh, good. Um, well, we've got this. Um, your wife's a perpetual shit dumper. Did that not come up? Was well, there no point that somebody said, Steve, no. come on. No, what do they your care? Your family dump no. crap in rivers. Maybe, maybe it was down there as qualification for the job. Or maybe that's what happened. Let's do a question from Andrew. Back to the big issue. Solar and wind can change our country, but is there any room for a conversation on hydropower, tidal power? Because we are, after all, an island, says Andrew. Definitely tidal power. Hydro in the conventional sense, I would say not. We're very limited by our, uh, what would you call it, geography, you know, the availability of rivers and stuff like that. Most of it's been harnessed. So I'd say not the conventional hydro, but tidal, yes, absolutely. There's a big resource out there. 
I reckon maybe you know somewhere between ten and twenty percent of the country's electricity could come from that. At the moment, it's super expensive because it's you know it's in the kind of R and D phase. And if you can imagine, the most expensive thing you can build in the world probably is an underwater electrical generator. Right? That's that's quite a quite a feat of engineering and money. <laughs> that's quite tough. Yeah, I wouldn't fancy doing that on a Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, we've got some ideas in that space, and and actually, offshore tidal lagoons are, are kind of one of them, and you know, which is, gives us a chance to store renewable energy, control it a little bit, make it what they call dispatchable, you know, so you can turn it on when you want it. It looks like the cheapest electricity that has ever been dreamt of. That's extraordinary. I mean, th- this is not pie in the sky thinking. Of course, this kind of thing is going to happen, right? Definitely, and that's what we like to do: take pie in the sky and make it happen. Yeah, well, I mean, it's happened Except with fusion. many things. We're not going near fusion. <laughs> that's, yes. That's two pie in the sky. Or alchemy. But oh, worth I, like al- <laughs> I like alchemy. We made diamonds that way. That, well, there is that. Yes, it can happen. Um, here's a good news story. Fewer kids in England are having their teeth out since the sugar tax began. So food is important. I'm loving that one because the industry obviously argued hard and long against the sugar tax, like the tobacco industry did against, you know, all kinds of <laughs> clamp downs on tobacco, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. You know how big industry works, right? And this tax is only on fizzy drinks. And there's been a massive reduction in, in our blimey, bless, the number of kids going to hospital and having teeth pulled out because they're rotten. I mean, Jesus. And and so there are calls now to extend it to snacks and, and, and other foodstuffs that kids are also exposed to. Just makes great common sense. Therefore, it won't get done by this bunch. Indeed. Let's stick with wind. Onshore wind projects in England stall as no new applicants are received. Well, there'd be it. a reason for that, right? <laughs> I think I think somebody's trolling Cameron, right? He's back in the public eye and somebody puts out a story saying, by the way, guys, onshore wind is dead. It's like, well, that's not news. We've known this for 10 years. Somebody's trolling sure. him. That's what's happening. This from Lenny. Dale, what truly scares you? Ooh. David Cameron. Mm. Well, yeah, do you know what? Really, the prospect of the Tories winning the election, I think that that's a pretty scary prospect for all kinds of reasons. You know, I mean, the problems in our economy, NHS, schools, food banks, you know what I mean? Poverty in our country is, is through the, all those reasons, plus the, the environment, of course. In this last half a decade, the UN says we've got to do something meaningful. And this government, having turned their back on the economics and the science of the green economy and saying, now nah, we're just going to carry on drilling for oil and gas and, by the way, coal, you know, in, in some kind of uh, crazy version of Brexit where romanticism about the past seems to take over from common sense. Yeah. Well, there is that. I mean, we're, we're talking about people here who, well, you just quoted the, the deputy chairman who said, you know, mm. don't, uh, don't listen to the law. So that's... <laughs> yeah. and, and the laws of physics and economics and all that. I mean, can you imagine, regardless of what you thought of her, Margaret Thatcher, as an obvious example, ever saying, don't obey the law? I mean, it would be ridiculous. It would, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have heard that, but that's the kind of... Although her government broke the law, well, yeah, through the police and stuff like that. I have personal experience of that, you know, all grieve strikes, um, the battle of the bean field, you know, I mean, it was a repressive regime. They definitely broke the law. We didn't have social media, and so they got away with a lot of shit. That's true. Yeah, that has kind of whatever the uh, the shortcomings of social media, it has kind of exposed and um, shone some uh, some light on those areas of contamination of our system. Everybody's a cameraman now. Every single person. Yeah, it's like it's a bit Orwellian in a curious way, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Story out of the United States: Climate change deniers are going to sue the U.S. over the largest offshore wind array approval. So these are two U.S. climate change denying groups. Uh, one is called the Heartland Institute, and the other is the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. 
known as CFACT, <laughs> have notified the federal government of their intent to sue over the approval, claiming that it was based on defective biological opinion by the NMFS that failed to consider the cumulative impact of the entire East Coast offshore wind program. Can uh, you make sense of this? Yeah, I can. Top line, it's climate deniers taking a leaf out of the playbook of climate warriors. The people that are increasingly taking big corps and governments to, to court to say what you're doing is wrong, you're ignoring climate science, policy, all that kind of stuff. These are a couple of climate denying bodies with those ridiculous names that make them sound you know, like the good guys, uh, just taking a leaf out of that playbook and saying, well, let's see if we can't sue an offshore wind decision. And uh, that's it. There it is. Haley says, Dale, what are your thoughts on offsetting carbon capture projects for businesses like planting trees? Because that's, that's a biggie, isn't it? You know, don't worry, we're going to pollute the shit out of the planet. <laughs> but we, we planted some acorns, so yeah. everything's cool. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's a good way to put it. Acorns, because they do grow into mighty trees, but it takes a fucking long time, right? And that's the core. Just a bit. That's yes. the crux of the problem. And, you know, this has been around a long time, this issue. You know, it's quite prominent at the moment. The, the, the real problem is people, as you say, they use it as a reason to carry on polluting today. They say, don't worry, we planted trees. But they, they count the emissions reduction of those trees, the carbon absorption of those trees on day one. But they don't accrue. They don't start really delivering for 20 years. And they haven't really peaked until, let's say, 50 years later. And so it's just like a live now, pay later kind of scheme. Matter, you see, this This is just like a six-year-old could work this out. That's, <laughs> yes, not right. how, that's, right. that's not how. Sorry, the whole offsetting concept should not work like this. <laughs> that's, right. it's like, that's just like saying, can you give me three million quid and I'll pay you back in 107 years? Because that's when I I should have the money. They're, they're pushing the responsibility into the next generation, aren't they? As, as as kind of what you're saying, they're saying, "Well, look, don't worry, we've got a great scheme. We'll carry on doing what we're doing, and in in fifty years' time, it might have worked. But if it hasn't, well, that's fine. You can deal with it. But you know, we know the trees will absorb carbon as long as they're in a good scheme where they're kept alive. You know, and they're not allowed to be felled and that kind of stuff. Carbon offsetting is fraught with all kinds of problems. This week in the news, a story that I think Apple and some other big corps have been buying carbon credits from something linked to slavery in, uh, I can't say the name of the place, Rohingya or something like that. The whole business is corrupt, in my opinion. Carbon offsetting uh, is, a, is a wild west currently. And, and, if, and unless it's a UN certified scheme, I would say don't go near it. I mean, if you said, look, oh God, I've used a private plane, uh, but don't worry, I'm literally going to buy a, a thousand windmills tomorrow mm. i could go do you know what fair play that kind of works that's that's sort of tangible and they're going to be up and running in a month but you can't do this acorn crap can you, you, <laughs> you can't. just plant something <clears throat> and hope for the best but interestingly i mean there's a lot of new work in carbon offsetting but it's more than just offsetting uh, for example direct air capture of carbon it, i think is the peak of the uh, the good approach to this but of course it's the most expensive as well and then there's yeah. a thing called enhanced rock weathering and basically it's taking uh, basalt i call it but i think it might be basalt i don't even know how to say it you get it out of quarries ground up as a dust and you spread it on farmland and it's a super absorber of carbon and it makes the soil more more fertile so that's a pretty wonderful thing and there's some other yeah. bits and pieces going as well like biochar getting coppice material for example turning it into charcoal and, and then again putting that on the land to absorb carbon and, and lock it in there so there are some great approaches there's a there's a role for tree planting but not in terms of carbon offsetting that just don't work
And a final question from Paul, who says, how can we go about making a fairer tax system? And, of course, if someone's listening to this thinking, why are you talking about tax systems when this is meant to be about environmental? Of course, everything is intrinsically linked in this respect. And the environment and taxation systems and our monetary system and the way Western governments function and banks are all, I guess, you know, hugely relevant to overarching conversations about how green we go and how green we are. Well, yeah, I mean, our economy is like the, you know, underpins everything, doesn't it? But I would say fundamentally this, that we can't have true sustainability without social justice. And the way our tax system works at the moment, we don't get social justice. So we tax money made with money at a lower rate than we tax money made with a pair of hands. So just to elaborate on that, Rishi Sunak made 2 million quid last year through his investments, money made with money. He paid 25% tax, half a million quid. If you're a nurse, if you're a bin man, whatever it is, you are going to pay an effective rate of 45% on your pay. And that's money made with a pair of hands. People that just have a job are paying almost twice as much tax proportionally as people that have a shit ton of money and they just make money from that. And that tax system has been built over years by conservative governments to favor people that have money. And we have to undo that. And- I love an and. That was a very dramatic and as well. (laughs) Come on, this is a big one. Drum roll. We've been working with a tax expert recently. We asked him the question, what would it be worth to make this policy change, right? To equalize the rates of tax. Uh, Money made with money, money made with a pair of hands. Guess what? 50 billion pounds a year into our economy that we could spend on stuff. You know I mean? For example, we could get energy independence for that sum of money in one year, just like that. All kinds of good things we could do if- Rich people and not so rich people paid the same rate of tax. Spot on. There it is. Dale, fabulous. <laughs> we will speak in a week. Good one. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Don't forget, of course, to follow Dale on social media, facebook.com slash Dale Vince, uh, twitter.com slash Dale Vince, and on TikTok, TikTok too. too. <laughs> <laughs> I had to join in. I love that one. I had to join in. <laughs> Zero. Carbon. East off.